Thank you for supporting the Ministry of Victory Outreach International. We pray this message challenges, ignites faith, and that God would fan the flame that will produce a harvest of souls throughout the world. Book of Acts, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to be considering this. In fact, this morning, we're going to be, I'm going to be giving the introduction to the book of Acts. And we're going to be dealing with the 11 verses of the first chapter of Acts. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, was, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the time or the season which the Father has put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by him in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall come, so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven." Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we come once again in the precious name of your son, Jesus. I pray that you give me the words to speak to this congregation. Let the word of God have, find lodging within the hearts and minds of each person that is gathered here this morning. Lord, we know that your word is able to have a changing effect upon our behavior. That we're able to grow spiritually. And you're able to reveal yourself to us in a very personal way. And I pray that this morning every mind will be open, every heart will be open to be able to receive your divine word. Holy Spirit, we need you this morning to move upon this congregation, to move within this service. And we will be careful to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, we have the wonderful privilege of beginning a new series in a study of the book of Acts. This is the very first uh, message this is the very opening of the series that we're going to be, be conducting every Sunday morning. We're going to be studying and digging into the book of Acts. And I believe that it's going to have a positive and powerful effect upon all of our lives. 
I'm excited about it because there are many things that we're going to learn in this book. We're going to learn tremendous principles that the Lord used to begin the church and is still operating in the body today. There are principles that we will find and that we will learn that will help us as individuals and also help us as a church. We're going to see how God works through men by His Spirit. We're going to see the pattern for the church. We're going to see God's pattern for His missionary effort, God's pattern for the control and government of the church, God's pattern for building the church, God's pattern for the evangelization of the world. All this is here in the book of Acts. If we want to be a powerful church, then we need to follow the model that we, that, that we have recorded for us in this book, the book of Acts. And if we're able to, to follow the model that we have in, in this book, then we could be that, that powerful church and that church that is energized and full of the Holy Spirit. Now the book of Acts is a very strategic book it actually brings out the very beginning of the church, the birth of the church. Now the author of the book of Acts is Luke. And Luke was associated with the apostles from the year 30 A.D. to about 60 A.D. And in those 30 years, as Luke traveled in his companionship of the apostle, he penned and wrote what was going on. In other words, everything that we have recorded here... Luke, in a sense, was an eyewitness of many of the things as he, as he saw them take place, he was writing them down. And he's recorded them here in the book of Acts. So, the story of the book of Acts is, it's the beginning of Jerusalem and its explosion until it reaches Rome, the capital of the world at that time. And in those 30 years, Luke presents to us how the Spirit of God controlled and empowered and expanded the church. In 30 years, the Spirit of God energized that church and there was a spiritual explosion that took place. The Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That same Jesus that was moving and working in the book of Acts is the same Jesus that wants to move and work today in our lives. This is a very important book. It's important because it gives us the pattern of the church. It's important because it shows us the pattern of world evangelism. It's important because there are principles of discipleships and many other reasons that we could find for the importance of this book. Now Luke is dict directing this book. Luke is actually writing this book and directing this book to a Roman high official by the name of Theophilus. So as you could see in the very beginning, he says, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus. This is the second volume of another book that he wrote. And we find that in the Gospels, he wrote the Gospel of Luke. We also find that Theophilus comes out in the Gospel of Luke. And over here again, he's writing to Theophilus. And Theophilus seems to be a Roman high official and here Luke is trying to bring Christianity or commend Christianity to the Roman world. He's bringing out the good points. He's bringing out the positive points of Christianity 
to the Roman world, and he's directing himself to a high Roman official by the name of Theophilus. The main purpose of this book is found in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And here we find it says, Ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. So the message in the book of Acts and the main purpose of the book of Acts is world evangelization. The vision that they had was not only of reaching Jerusalem and also spreading out into Judea and Samaria, but unto the uttermost parts of the world. Can you imagine a little band of disciples looking through the eyes of man, insignificant disciples, with what mission and what vision they had of not only reaching Jerusalem, but also spreading out throughout the entire world. That's vision. And that vision is the only type of vision that God is able to give, the Holy Spirit is able to give, because God is a supernatural God. Many times we look through the natural eyes, but we have to look through the spiritual eyes. God wants to do great and mighty things in our lives. Eyes have not seen, no ears have heard what God desires to do in our lives. So this morning, you may have come over here maybe downtrodden and maybe even in a state of discouragement, but I want you to pick up your head this morning and know that we are serving a powerful and mighty God and all things are possible with him. So the church was empowered and energized by the power of the Holy Spirit and it began to spread out throughout the entire world, the known world at that time. Now the book of Acts is a very difficult book to outline. And every student that tries to outline this book will find, for me it's been even a little bit difficult. In fact, even this morning I was kind of trying to find my way in the first service because it's a very difficult book to actually outline. You get into that book and you try to, try to outline it. It's very difficult because it deals with the work of the Holy Spirit. And how many know that you can't box in the Holy Ghost? The Holy Spirit moves where it wills, where it desires. And you can't box in the Holy Spirit. So it's very difficult. But there are sections in this book that we're able to take a look at. And we're going to be studying this book section by section. And there are six sections that we're going to be taking a look at in this book. Beginning from chapter 1, clear to the end of the book. We're going to be breaking it down in six sections. Now in chapter 1 and verse 1 to chapter 6 and verse 7, this section that we're going to be dealing with tells us of the church at Jerusalem and how it all began. It also tells us about the preaching of Peter at Pentecost, the birth of the Jerusalem church, as it multiplied. Now, one of the things I want you to notice, that at the end of every section, it always brings that the church multiplied. There was a multiplication process that took place in the church. Many were added to the church over and over in every section you will find that the, at the end of the section it says, and the church grew and multiplied. There was a growing process that was taking place 
with the church within the book of Acts. And also in chapter 6 and verse 8, the, second, the other section, next section, chapter 6 and verse 8, to chapter 9 and verse 31, the church moves from Jerusalem. We're going to find that it moves from Jerusalem into Judea and then Samaria. And they continue again to multiply. Oh, I like that word, multiply. Chapter 9, verse 32, the next section, and verse, uh, chapter 12 to verse 24. In this section, we find the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And this is going to be an exciting session when we get, uh, section when we get to that. Paul is always exciting when you read about Paul, especially read about his conversion. So in this section, we see the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And at, the, at that point, the church began to explode. Imagine Paul says he was called out of, out of season, you know, out of, he, 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 was, he says, I'm the least of them all. But all of a sudden, God got a hold of him. And when God got a hold of this man, he energized him with the power of the Holy Ghost. And there was an explosion that took place within the church. And the word of God again grew and multiplied. Oh, my God. Grew and multiplied. In chapter 12, next section, chapter fourth checks in chapter 12, verse 25, chapter 6 to chapter 16 and verse 5. This section deals with the church born in Asia Minor and the church, it says, increased. And also, many were added to the church. In chapter 16 also, and verse 6 to chapter 19 and verse 20, this section, Paul moves into Ephesus and then on to Corinth and extends the ministry even further. And then finally, the last section, we find in chapter 19 and verse 21, to the end of the book, Paul is in prison, in the Roman prison in Rome. But still, even though he's in prison, he still preaches the gospel, and the book closes, and it's over a 30-year period, and the church is still expanding and multiplying. Now, the book of Acts, are you with me still? I know I'm giving you a lot of information, but we'll go over it, over it every week. We'll, you know, relate to it a little bit. The book of Acts could better be titled The Acts of the Holy Spirit Through the Apostles. As they call it the book of Acts of the Apostles, but it's really not the Acts of the Apostles. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit Through the Apostles. Because the Holy Spirit it dominates the entire book. The Holy Spirit is mentioned over and over within the book of Acts. Sixty times it mentions the Spirit. Forty times it mentions the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Everything revolves around the Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates. The Holy Spirit baptizes. The Holy Spirit fills. The Holy Spirit sanctifies the members. The Holy Spirit chooses and appoints the ministers. The Holy Spirit directs and controls Everything that goes on within the church. The Holy Spirit always pointing to Christ. And glorifying and magnifying the name of Christ. So, it is a very exciting book. Now about the author Luke. For some of you, you may not know too much about Luke. And you say, well, who's Luke? Well, well Luke is not mentioned a great deal in the New Testament. Not mentioned a great deal. We have, we have the Gospel of Luke, 
And then we also have the book of Acts, and we know that it was written by Luke. But Luke only appears three times within the New Testament. He appears in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14. He appears in that little small book of Philemon, verse 24. And he also appears in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. Only three times we find Luke appearing within the New Testament. And in each case, you see him moving with the disciples. He's tagging along with the disciples. He's moving as the disciples are moving. He's also moving and he's writing. And he's writing things down. What he sees and what he hears, he's writing it down and recording it for our benefit. So we know that Luke was a doctor also. He was a doctor. And in the book of Luke, he reveals, he reveals uh, by the choice, it reveals that by the, the, ch the, the choice of words that he uses, you could tell that he was a doctor. Even when it puts down the doctors, it says that this woman went and she saw many doctors and all that, the woman that had the issue of blood, he, he omits that. <laughs> he omits it. He don't even put it in because he don't want to, you know, downgrade or a doctor. So he was a medical doctor. Not only was a doctor, but he was also a Gentile. And the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. He's a Gentile, Gentile writer, and the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. Now let's begin to take a look at this book. I'm going to just take a look at the first 11 verses, and I want you to, I want to keep your attention for the first 11 verses, okay? Praise God. Let's take a look over here in the book of Acts. It says over here, the former treatise in verse 1, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now, you notice this, that he begins and he says, the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus. Now, the former treaties is he talking about, he's talking about the former volume. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. So if you take a look, this goes together with the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And if you take a look at and study the Gospel of Luke, you find that it's talking about Jesus. Everything that Jesus taught, everything that Jesus did, and many of the experiences Jesus had, his teaching and everything. So he's saying to Theophilus, I have made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and to teach. So the former treatise is volume one. This here is volume two. And he's writing to the same person, Theophilus. And then in verse 2 it says, Until the day in which he was taken up, and after that, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, I want you to understand this. That really what the book of Acts says is a continuing work of the unfinished work of Christ. In other words, he is saying, Jesus began it, and it's still not finished. There's still work that has to be done. Jesus started out preaching, and then it says Jesus chose an, a group of apostles, a group of disciples, so that they in turn could carry on the work that he started. Now in a sense, the work of Jesus is a finished work, an unfinished, and also an unfinished work. You say, well, how is that possible? You're confusing me. Well, it's finished as far as the atonement. And Jesus said, 
it is finished. There's nothing else that has to be done concerning the atonement of Jesus Christ, concerning our salvation. I mean, the price has been paid. There's nothing else that you could pay. There's nothing else that has to be paid. It has all been paid for. Salvation has been paid by Jesus. In fact, he even said, it is finished. When he was hanging on the cross, he died. Not only did he die, but he resurrected from the dead. He took away the keys of Satan, took away the power of Satan. And he said, it is finished. It is all finished. But the atonement has been provided. Salvation is free for all those that want to receive. So when we think about the atonement, think about a sacrifice on the cross, I mean, there's nothing that could be added to it is finished. But his work is not finished. See, he started out by preaching the kingdom of God. He started out by getting a band of disciples together and calling them to himself, and he gave them a mission. The mission is not finished. So here we find that the, uh, Luke says, the former trees have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now, the first thing that Jesus did was this. He gave his disciples a message. Don't let the devil put you to sleep now. You see somebody sleeping, hit him on the head. You know. You'd be surprised what I could see over here. This, especially the second service. The first one, really, the second service, they go. You know. I see someone like this. I say, man, they're feeling good, but they're not hearing a word that I'm saying. <laughs> Come on, keep alert. Praise the Lord. Don't let the devil do that. The devil does that. You know, the devil comes like this. You know what the devil does? This is where you got to discipline your mind. Especially new converts. This is where I you know it's the new converts are the ones that are spacing out. The devil comes and he goes, Come on, you're asleep. You don't hear the word. And then he goes like that. You don't hear the word. Don't listen to him. You don't know what he's saying anyhow. You know, and then, and then you go like this. And then if somebody, when you walk out, somebody asks, what did they preach on? I, I don't know. Okay. That's why we have to be alert. We have to be alert. As, we're, we're, as we keep alert, that's what changes and transforms our lives. It's the word of God that transforms our lives. So be alert. Come on. If you see somebody sleeping, get up. Baby. Shake them up like that. Amen. Praise God. So what does he do? Jesus gave him a message. In other words, Jesus went ahead, he imparted a message to the disciples. He gave them a message. And the disciples went ahead and they began to take this message. He invested in them. And the way that he did it, you notice the way Jesus taught his disciples, he showed them by exampleship and then he would explain. Like for instance, he would work a miracle and then after he worked the miracle, then he says, okay, now you do it. Okay? Just like when he went ahead and he, brought him in, he brings him into places of impossible situations, like he did with the feeding of the 5,000. He took the disciples and he said, give you them to eat in an impossible situation. He just still does that with us today. See, an impossible situation. Okay, give you them to eat. And then he says, he wanted to see how they would react. And then he, it says in the, in the scriptures that he himself knew what he would do. You see, Jesus always knows what he's going to do. 
But he wanted to teach them a lesson. He wanted them to understand. He wanted to bring them from that realm of the natural into the realm of the supernatural. And then he went ahead, finally, when, and then he went, when somebody stepped out in faith, he went ahead and he fed the whole multitude. And then later on you see Peter saying, he, he, Peter jumps, he sees Jesus walking on the water again. It wasn't because he was showing off. He was teaching him again, I am the Lord God. I am con in control of everything. Nothing is impossible for me. And the miracles that I do, you're able to do them also if you put your faith and confidence in me. Then Peter got a hold of that message and says, Lord, could I walk on the water also? He says, come. Then Peter jumped out. And he started walking on the water. He said, Woo, whoa, this is fantastic, you know. And he's walking over to Jesus. Then all of a sudden, what happens? Then a wave hits him on the face. Pow! He takes his eyes off Jesus like many of us do. And he started looking at the waves at the circus. What in the world am I doing here? And he began to sink. Then Jesus had to tell, get a hold. Come on, get up out of there. Oh, ye of little faith. Hear what I'm talking about? Isn't that like us? You walk in, the devil's after me. I mean, you, you should, you, we, the devil shouldn't be after you, have you on the run. We, we're the ones that should have the devil on the run. The devil should, should tremble. Somebody says the devil trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. The devil trembles when he sees a, a Christian that's on fire for God, a Christian that is anchored to the Word of God and has received the message that God has given. So he had to give them and ignite them with the message. And he taught them by imparting of his life. You see, it's not head knowledge. It's not good enough to have head knowledge. You know what happens if you have too much head knowledge? You become what they say, a cabezón. <laughs> big-headed right and it's not head knowledge it's living knowledge that'll change your life it's the living knowledge of the Word of God that will transform your life you take it and once you experience it then you're able to pass it on to somebody else so Jesus did everything and then Jesus did everything under the power of the Holy Spirit okay so now so we find it says over here that Jesus began both to do and to teach you notice do he did, and he taught. And that's the most effective way of teaching, doing, and then teaching. Being a Christian. The best way you teach somebody to be a Christian is by you being a Christian and being that example, and then you begin to teach them only also by word as well. But teaching them through your life, an open epistle. Then it says over here, until the day in which he was taken up, after that, he, was, he, he threw the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto them, and the apostles whom he had chosen. So he actually chose this group of men, gave them commandments, gave them a message, and he said, I want you to go ahead and take this message. Okay, then it says, To whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. One of the things that Jesus did, not only did he tell them about, he said, you destroy this body, and in three days it shall rise up again. He mentioned a lot of things to them. But the thing that really cinched it was when he resurrected from the dead. You see, he, not only did he resurrect from the dead, 
But you even find it in 1 Corinthians that he appeared to all of them. He made appearances. For 40 days, instead of him ascending up into the right hand of the Father as soon as he resurrected from the dead, he stayed around. Now, what do you think he stayed around? He stayed around. He appeared to them. Remember Do Doubting Thomas? Doubting Thomas says, I won't believe it until I see the handprints in his hands and until I, I could put my hands there and really see him for myself. All of a sudden, what happens? They gather together, and here comes Jesus. comes right through the wall. Shoom. He goes, okay, Thomas, come here. Here it is, Thomas. Is this what you want? You want proof? Here's the proof. And Thomas says, oh, my Lord and my God, I believe now, you see. see. He wanted them to make sure that before they could go out and carry the message and continue on the unfinished work of God, they needed to have the assurance without any doubt whatsoever that the Jesus that they were serving was not a myth, but the Jesus that they were serving was a Jesus that not only died, but resurrected from the dead and lives forevermore. And there's a whole list of how, who he showed himself to, who he appeared to. And then it says, and being assembled, uh, he commanded them that they should not, then he says to them in verse 4, and being assembled, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. You notice what he did? He gave them the message, and he called them, but I, I want you to take notice. There was still something missing in their lives. Because he was going to leave. So he says, wait a minute. You're not ready to go yet. You're not really fully equipped yet to accomplish what I want you to do. He says, I don't want you to just go right away and run with it. I want you to go and wait for the promise of the Father. And then in verse 8 it says, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. See, Jesus never expects us to do it, His work in the energy of the flesh. I want you to understand that. Just like the disciples. They had the message. They had the proof. They seen Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And instead of telling them, okay, now take it and run with it, he said, no, 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 wait a minute. You wait a minute. You're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. You need something. You're not about what I am calling you to accomplish and the life that I'm calling you to live. There's no way that you're going to be living it in your own, your, own, your own sufficiency. So you better wait. You get over there and you wait for the promise of the Father. That he promised that he was going to send a comforter that he was going to send the Holy Ghost. You wait up there in that upper room and wait till you receive the power from on high and then you'll be ready. Now, what do you think he said that to them? Well, well, I'll tell you a number of reasons. First of all, because their understanding was still limited. Do you know that it is difficult for us to understand the things of God without the Spirit of God? He's our resident teacher. You've got to think about it. The Holy Spirit, when he tells them to wait for the Holy Ghost, he's not telling them to wait for just an influence. Some people think of the Holy Spirit like an influence. It's a, a win, an influence, you know, or something that's going to come, or a force. No, it's much more than that. The Holy Spirit, we have to recognize, and I want you to understand, the Holy Spirit 
is a person. The Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit. And he said, the Father did his part in the Old Testament. I've done my part. I'm about finished my task. I'm going away. But I am sending you someone that's going to be able to energize you and empower you to be able to accomplish what I have called you to be and what I have called you to do. See, the problem that we have is this, that we try to run without the Holy Spirit. That's why you're falling, you know, man, I can't make it, brother. I can't make it. Well, you know why you can't make it? You're trying to make it on your own. It's impossible. He never said for you to make it on your own. There's no way. It's not a thing of willpower and saying, I'm going to do it. There's no way that you could live up to the standards of the Word of God without the Holy Ghost energizing you and the power of the Holy Ghost in your life. There's no way. You would utterly fail over and over and over and over. You fail until you learn how to come down to the altar and say, more of you. That's what I need is more of you. Until you learn how to come down... Humble yourself before God and say, I can't do it, but by the grace of God, he that is within me is greater than he who is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to come into that place of reliance and dependency upon the Holy Ghost. It's not seniority. You say, well, brother, I... I've been a Christian for such a long time. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, you're still not going to make it. If you don't learn how to get a hold of the Holy Ghost and let the Holy Ghost begin to, to run your life and you start being obedient to the power of the Holy Spirit within your life. So it's the Holy Spirit. Now you notice what they did. See, they were out of it. And in verse 6, listen to what it says. When he tells them, he's talking to them, he says, Truly, Baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And listen to what they say in verse 6. You could tell that they were still out of it. You see, that they needed that empowering of God. Verse 6, they said, But when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Huh? What were they concerned about? Here, Jesus is talking about world evangelization about people that are hurting, that need to be reached in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world, and they're all concerned about themselves. <laughs> Jesus, are you going to bring the kingdom now? You know, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Selfishness, all self-centered. All they were concerned about, I want my blessing now! See? And they didn't understand the whole message that Jesus was bringing unto them. So what did Jesus say to them? He says, like he says to many of us, and in verse 7 he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times nor the, or the season which the Father has put in his own power. In other words, he said, It's not for you to know. Mind your own business. None of your business. None of your business. See, we don't know when Jesus is coming back again. We have the promise. He said, I shall come back and receive you unto myself that where I am you may be also. In fact, we have it over here too where he talks about, he says that at the last, the last, uh, the angels give that, that testimony. So he's coming back again, 
But it's not for us to know the day or the hour. We're not supposed to be calculating. There's a whole lot of people that try to calculate and try to find out when he's coming back. And they begin to write books about when he's coming back. And this happened recently in Bakersfield. There was a whole group of people that were putting doors uh, uh, under the doors of some, uh, putting books under the doors of some of our Victory Outreach people. And the book said that he was coming back and he was supposed to come back two weeks ago. He never came. They had it all figured out. He's coming back so and so date. We have figured it out. How many people have figured it out? People have gone to a mountaintop and waiting. He's coming today. He's coming. Sold their houses, sold everything. And nothing has happened. Because he said he's coming as a thief in the night. No one knows the day or the hour. And in the sovereignty and wisdom of God, the reason why he did that is so that we will be able to live like if he's coming any day. He wants us to live like if he's coming today. Like today is the day that he's coming back for us, that we will be ready. You see? So they still need it. They didn't understand all that. So he tells them, go up to, to the, uh, you're going to receive power, the Holy Ghost. Is going to come upon you. Because the Holy Ghost will enlighten them. Will give them the understanding to understand the message of God. Understand the things of God. Because he's a person. So he has an intellect. The Holy Spirit also will also quicken them and convict them. Because the Holy Spirit is a person and he has emotions. Do you know the Holy, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're none of his. And you know what happens? Not only does the Holy Spirit give you understanding of the things of God, but the Holy Spirit also gets quenched when you don't obey Him. That's why the most miserable persons, the most miserable people, are the people that are Christians and they're out of the will of God. In fact, don't even hang around with somebody like that. They're the most miserable people. Man, they're always on a bummer. In fact, they're, they're worse off than the, than the unsaved. The unsaved don't know any better. But the Christians that are playing games and Christians that are sinning and those secret sins and that are out of the will of God, those are the most miserable people because the Holy Ghost is inside of them and quenched and tugging and, 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 and convicting them of their sins and they're constantly resisting the voice of the Holy Spirit. Those are miserable people. People that are constantly running and never coming and, and surrendering and aligning their will to the will of the Spirit in their lives. And then also, the Holy Spirit says he's a person. He also has a will. And the Holy Spirit wants you to do what he wants you to do. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to be obedient. And he will lead you. He guides you. He knows the way. He wants to direct us. He wants to guide us. He wants to show us. And it's up to us to be obedient and begin to obey what the Holy Spirit is telling us. Okay? So it says over here, and then two more things and we're going to conclude. In verse 8 it says, But you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. This is the mission that he's given them. Now, what is the mission that he's given them? I'll tell you what the mission is. It's very plain. The whole mission, and I told you, of the book of Acts is to be witnesses. That's the mission. Ye shall be my witnesses. 
Ye shall receive power. Ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. Why? So you could dance? People have the wrong concept, man. All they think it's just party time. Party, 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 party. They come to church, ah, you know, and, and then, you know, some, like the, you know, these goose steps like that, you know, dancing like that. And some people, you know, go through all this, uh, you know, like a, a religious type of party. But if you're going to dance, and if you're going to get excited, you're going to jump up and down. When you walk out, you better do something. You better not just be partying, but you, begin, you better begin to really work for him. And what he wants us to do, he's called us and given us the Holy Ghost, not so that we could feel good, not so that we could come and have a, a spiritual party, but that we may be able to be witnesses. Witnesses. He has empowered us with the power of the Holy Ghost so that we will be witnesses in the world of a living Christ that overcame the enemy, that is resurrected from the dead and lives forevermore. And this is exactly what they were. These guys were witnesses, and that's why the church multiplied. That's why they filled all Jerusalem and began to spread out into other regions as well, because they were witnessing, they were witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, a witness, what does a witness do? Well, just like if you are a witness and you go to court, how many know when they call you to be a witness in court? Some of you have been witnesses. What is the first thing they ask you? They say, okay, what did you see? <laughs> what did you see? Tell us over again, what did you see? And they ask you about 20 times, 100 times. What did you see? What did you hear? You saw something. You heard something. You felt something. What did you feel? How did you feel about that? So you saw, you heard, you felt. And this is where 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1 tells, tells us about being a witness. It says, that which we have seen and heard and looked upon and our hands uh, have handled concerning the word of God, that we declare unto you. You see what he's saying in 1 John? He's saying, we're just passing on to you what we have seen and heard and looked upon and our hands have handled concerning God, concerning the word of life, and this we declare and we're passing it on unto you. Now I want to ask you this morning, ask yourself, ask yourself this question, are you a witness? I'll tell you, if nobody knows that you're a Christian in your community and nobody knows that you're a Christian where you live and you don't tell anybody about it, then you're not a witness. You've been energized with the power of the Holy Ghost, but you're not, for what? For nothing. You're not even using it. And for the reason, you're not even, you're not even fulfilling the purpose of why you've been energized with the power of the Holy Spirit if you're not a witness for Christ. And how many people are undercover Christians? I wonder how many of you know you're a Christian at your job. I've seen it happen. I've gone to a place and I say, hey, this sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, hey, God bless you. And they're working in their job, you know. And then all of a sudden, uh, I'm, I'm pastor, and somebody comes and says, oh, what is it? I'm pastor so-and-so. Oh, you mean you're a Christian? He tells the person, you're a Christian? And the person's been working with them for years, and you're a Christian? They didn't even know it. Now, that's embarrassing. That's a shame. And that's embarrassing. 
See, we should be a witness with our lives, an open epistle, and at the same time, we should also witness verbally. We should be able to witness and, and tell them about what has taken place in our lives. Tell them about what you have seen. I've seen Jesus. You may have not seen him bodily, but praise God, you've had a taste of him, and you've seen him through the spiritual eyes. You've heard his voice. You've looked upon and handled of the word of God and the word of life, and this is what we declare and we pass on. And this is what they passed on in the book of Acts. They were witnesses, and they passed it on. And because of that, the church multiplied and many people were added to the church. Do you know that if you just reach one soul, we wouldn't have room in this place for the people coming in? I wonder how many souls God has used you to reach. Have you won one at least? You got one spiritual son or spiritual daughter? If you don't, I pray that somehow the Holy Ghost will challenge you and stir you up. That you'll begin to be that witness that God wants you to be. And then last of all, it says, and let's read these verses together and we conclude with this. It says in verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while he beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received them out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now, that's motivation, man. You hear that? I mean, that's motivation. What, what, what's the motivation we have? What is it, the incentive that we have? We look at this world, and we say, this world's getting worse every day, right? How many of you would like to spend, would like to be here for eternity in this world, the way it is, right? But what is the blessed hope that we have? Huh? That we're in the world. What does it say? You're in the world. But what? But we're not of the world. And then we have the blessed hope. We have, it says, for the Lord himself, what? Shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, a trump of God. And those that are dead in Christ shall rise. And those that are still alive shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Huh? So shall we ever be with the Lord. We have a blessed hope. This is not where we're going to stay. God has something better for us. And the angels, when they, cause you can imagine the scene. They're looking at them and they're seeing them go, you seen them go up. We can imagine how they felt. All of a sudden, Jesus is departing from them. But before that, he says, go ahead, the comfort is coming. Wait until you receive power from on high. And then he's ascending up into heaven. And all of a sudden they're looking and then the angels say, Why stand ye looking towards in the heaven? Behold, it says, these two men stood by them while the parallel it said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken from you. See, taken from you because they felt he's being taken from us. He will come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. He's going to come again. Jesus Christ is coming again. You know what he's telling us? Occupy. Occupy until I come. What is he saying to us? I'm energizing you with the power of the Holy Ghost. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We're to be his witnesses. And if we are his witnesses, then we will experience what the word of God tells us, the book of Acts, and they multiplied, and they increased, and they multiplied, and many were added to the church. Wouldn't that be wonderful of the testimony of Victory Outreach here in La Puente would be, and they multiply, and they multiply, and they increase, and they multiply, and they grew, and they're growing, and they are multiplying, and they're increasing, and they're expanding. Spiritual growth, and also numerical growth. People coming in and coming into the kingdom of God, being ushered into the kingdom of God, because of a church and a group of people that are faithful witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that this message has encouraged you to grow in your walk with God. To hear more messages, visit www.visionintlstore.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you.